Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast, live on Phosphorus Radio, and I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we have an absolutely amazing guest today, Dave, the one and only Bang. Welcome to the show, Dave Bang. Howdy, thanks for having me. Dave, we've, yeah, I was just thinking this morning, we've known each other about a decade, about a decade maybe, yep. maybe a little bit less, but yeah, right about there and have a lot in common. Every time we get together out in Texas, we, 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 we always grab some dinner together and we talk about uh, uh, Marvel in DC for, uh, for way too long. But uh, if you could give some of our listeners a, a bit of background about you, You've, you have a, a really cool eclectic background, how you got into cyber and you've done some different things. So maybe you can kind of tell us your story. Uh, okay. So I've been in the industry, in the IT industry for almost 30 years now. Um, I started at the company that I worked for uh, on a two-week contract, and that was in 1993. Um, mm -hmm. So I did uh, I did <laughs> desktop support, and I did um, OS life cycles. I like to tell people I started with Windows 3.1, and the last OS life cycle I did was Windows XP. So um, I did a lot in between, and that's about the time I moved into security. Uh, on what was supposed to have been an 18 month rotation. And that was 2006. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I seem to be okay here. Um, I bounced around in security, did some firewall stuff, peripheral stuff, then did some application security and worked my way into architecture. And then I got fairly passionate about OT security. So I started partnering with the manufacturing folks and the, the guys on the shop floors and trying to bring their security game, you know, up to snuff. And so I've been doing that for the last um, uh, probably a decade, but exclusively OT security for the last three years. And then I just recently took a new role doing uh, security awareness. But my, my hope is to focus on uh, that group of folks that are the operators and the engineers that don't get a lot of uh, security awareness time. Uh, at least that's been my uh, experience. Yeah. You know, that I was going to act actually ask you that. What are maybe some of the big differences between working on the OT side juxtaposed to the IT side? And you, you just mentioned one of them was probably general awareness and training and things like that about cyber. But, you know, w what's that like? So I, I would say the what the topic always boils down to is which leg of the CIA triangle is most important, right? On the IT side, almost every security conversation talks about confidentiality, maybe a little bit of integrity, but it's so um, ubiquitous that availability never really is talked about, except in maybe like DDoS attacks or things like that. Um, on the OT side, it's completely backwards or different, right? Opposite. Um that's all about availability, right? It's all about keeping the manufacturing systems online and functioning and producing whatever it is that they produce. Um, integrity probably has a, a, a second. And, um, you know, with Stuxnet and things like that, integrity has become more important because the data that comes out 
is used to make business decisions as well as safety decisions. But most of them couldn't really care less about confidentiality. Um, that's something mm-hmm. for somebody else. That's that's a security thing, right? Not uh, not something they really care too much about uh, on the shop floor. So I'd say that's probably the biggest difference. And so the way the things that people think about and they're concerned about and they're passionate about are different, right? So one of my goals is to kind of understand that passion and priorities and tweak the language and the messages such that it makes sense to those folks. Yeah. And David, those guys don't care. They don't, they barely check their email. They certainly don't really, you know, understand why invoice fraud or anything like that would be important to them. Right. But if I can talk about, you know, ransomware on the OT networks or things like that, that's something that it hits their availability. That's something that's a concern to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm, you know, as as OT and IT, but continue to mature, but I guess cross pollinate a little bit more. And you know, there's, you know, I, I think of energy production, right? And energy production, they have to do, you know, they're, they're producing producing more than they need, so they're they're selling it off, and that's all happening in real time. And for that to occur, it has to connect to IT systems. So a lot of the the theoretical unicorn air gaps that never kind of really existed, but maybe they sort of did sometimes, uh, they've they've disappeared. And with that, it means that you've got to talk about unidirectional diodes and, and how you're going to connect these environments together and who's monitoring what. And over here, it's being monitored by SCADA and over here, it's SIM and these different, these different groups. Are you finding that the folks on the sort of, I don't want to call it legacy, but from the IT side of the house, are they are they starting to up their OT chops at the same time, just like the OT folks are starting to update sort of their IT security chops? My experience has been they're not as quick to that as the OT folks are, right? The OT folks are starting to see there's big benefits to learning some of the IT stuff, right? Um, there's efficiencies to be gained, you know, there's automation to be used, things like that. The IT side of the house, um, they don't have a lot of visibility into the OT side. So therefore, gaining knowledge and experience around that is not something that they really think about. That's been something I've been working on for the last few years is trying to get that visibility uh, into the OT side and trying to get people to rotate through those kinds of roles or at least you know, into positions where they interact with those roles, because I, I feel like that's a, that's a big opportunity uh, f- for that cross pollinate pollinization to happen. You know, yeah, we've and- both been doing this for uh, too long, <laughs> and you're one of the very few individuals I've met worldwide that's spent a good amount of time on the OT security side and the IT security side, and. I, I think you you really hit the nail on the head is, is rotating these people, get, getting some of that cross-pollinization between the teams because you said it so well. You, you think about it differently, right? Whether it's confidentiality, integrity, availability, or it's just, you know, what, what's my, what are my day-to-day concerns? Um, it's just a different mindset. So you might not be thinking about the threat actors and, and the potential of, of impact to your network in the same way. And the IT people have just as much to learn, I think, from the OT people, right? And it's and it's understanding the business. And that could be 
manufacturing, power generation, transportation, you name it. OT now is pretty much everywhere. It's not just limited to a few critical infrastructure organizations. Uh, so I'm wondering, with, with, with that in mind and the fact that you have lived in both of these worlds, uh, what are you seeing in terms of uh, like the threats and the trends and the bri- uh, pri- business priorities really as it overlaps these two generally different so, worlds? So a lot of the same threats are there. Um, as far as threat actors, but their um, their motivations are different, right? So what you're seeing on the OT side is they are going, uh, you know, a ransomware attack is not there necessarily to get money. They're looking to maybe disrupt services or, um, you know, uh, gain money not for the release of the systems directly, but more for um, you know, uh, as an industry, right? So if they can attack mm-hmm. one company and one OT network, that's information that they could possibly use for the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, and so the motivation's different there, right? Um, it's not as much for monetary gain. I mean, uh, example on the, you know, uh, but they, they can affect each other, right? So, if, uh, if an OT system goes down, that definitely affects the business because they may have to shut a plant down or shut a manufacturing line down or something like that. And vice versa, we saw it with the Colonial Pipeline, right? Their business system was what was attacked. But because of the disruption in their business, they had to shut down the pipelines. They couldn't deliver product uh, to the East Coast. And so it got a lot more attention, I think, than what was originally intended, you know, by the by the bad actors. So yeah. um, I think it's not so much that you're seeing different threats; they're just different motivations. And because uh, OTs, um, for the most part, has not been a target uh, large scale, um, it's led to kind of a complacency. Uh, and a lot of people that work in that environment, uh, it, which is a different complacency than what IT people have, right? Um, but they're starting to, and I, I want to—I don't want to say starting to. The last five years or so, that's become uh, a much bigger concern, and you're seeing a lot more people include OT security in their um, design of systems and their priorities, uh, questions from the board level, things like that. And so you're starting to see a lot more attention paid and a lot more funds released to do activities for securing the OT networks. So Dave, we've talked a little bit about OT and we've talked a little bit about IT and how these two worlds are are colliding, uh, hopefully in a very positive way. And they have been for uh, at least five years. But what I'm seeing now is this big embrace of XIoT. And XIoT, the way we think about it is, you know, everything from enterprise IoT, so your your printers, voice over IP phones, security cameras, OT, all your industrial control systems, PLCs, SCADA, so on and so forth. And then network devices, these embedded devices like network attached storage or switches, load balancers, wireless access points. So 
when we think about that, and we know the numbers are huge, usually there's about three to five XIOT devices per employee in a company. So 10,000 people, somewhere between 30 to 50,000 devices. It's going to be a little bit higher for those companies that have industrial control systems. It's also going to be higher for verticals like retail, a little bit lower for law firms, for example, but three to five is about the average. So I guess my question to you is somebody, again, that's lived on the IT and the OT side, how do you think the industry is going to react now that they're finding out? I've got 50,000 Linux, Android, and BSD devices that are unsecure, unmanaged, default passwords, sitting all over my environment, making my my uh, attack surface footprint massive. Are we going to be able to get our hands around that quicker than we did when we said, hey, let's start looking at IT and OT security together because now we had this huge attack surface. Are, are, I guess my question is, are we ready for this? <laughs> well, I, I think there's two questions, right? I, I'd say, no, we are not ready for this. But I do think with the lessons that we've learned, right? I mean, it took us 20 years to think about security on the IT side. It took us 10 years to really think about security on the OT side. I figure two to five years to really get a handle around security on on what you're calling the XIOT, right? Because people are more aware now. This is not everybody's first rodeo. Um, the people that have a um, have a uh, uh, an interest in uh, bringing all these types of devices into their enterprise. I think are a little more aware of what the potential impact could be. Um, a lot of it is going to rely on the vendors, right? Because I mean, what we've seen with IoT devices being hacked in the past, it's generally been a poor design problem. Uh, not thinking about, hey, who could possibly use this light bulb, you know, as a botnet to attack a bunch of other things, you know. Those kinds of things. So it's going to take vendors partnering with enterprises and enterprises requiring their vendors to help them be secure, right? I think that's something that's been difficult to leverage in the past has been enterprises putting kind of putting their foot down and go, hey, you're not the 800-pound gorilla in this situation. I am, mm-hmm. you know, or my industry is, and we're concerned about this stuff. And if you want to play at our table or in our playground, you need to think about these things. Um, And they need to do two things, right? Vendors, I think, have two responsibilities. One is making sure that their products are capable of being implemented in a safe and secure method. But I think they also have the responsibility to educate the people who buy their products and how to set them up in a safe and secure way. Now, that doesn't do much for the 40, you know, 30 to 40,000 devices sitting at the, you know, sitting at the company you were talking about, um, or in a case like a company like mine, probably closer to 80 or 90,000 devices when you start adding in all the sensors and, you know, record keepers and things like that uh, out in the plant, um, a lot of them are not hardwired anymore, right? They're not a direct analog uh, connection back to the PLC or whatever, they're using some kind of wireless protocol um, to get the data back because it's more cost effective and more reliable and, and things like that. So 
you know, companies have to stop and get a grasp on what do we have. I mean, we talk about, oh, we've got all these XIOT devices around. Okay, what is it you have, right? That's probably mm-hmm. the first thing. And and it's just, you know, we went through this with IT. We went through this with OT. We go, we go through this every time is, you, you know, you wait until after the cow's out of the barn before trying to count them, right? Mm-hmm. Um but getting a good inventory of what it is you have and where they are and how you're using them lets you prioritize where your risk is and lets you focus on that, the higher risk stuff first. Yeah. And, le- and let's talk a little bit about, that's a perfect time to talk a little bit about that visibility and what you can actually do to these devices. So, right. We, we talked about XIOT. So again, a PLC is an ICS, is an OT, is an XIOT. But traditional IT tools oftentimes don't work too well with these OT devices like they do on traditional IT assets, computers, endpoints, traditional things, right? Um, so right there, you have kind of this difficulty in A, getting the visibility. You kind of need to understand how many devices you have, what's their doing a posture assessment on them to understand what it is, and then actually being able to talk to them in a way where you can go do something about that. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that, When, especially given that you come from you know, traditional IT and IT security? Um, how do you handle that? How do you approach that given the difficulty of these devices and, and that I, traditional IT tools don't really work too well, right? Well, yeah, no, they, they don't work well at all. And I, I think you've seen, you know, again, in the last five to six years, you've seen a, a lot of the IT-based tools claiming to be capable of doing OT stuff. But the reality is, is they probably work okay with an OT device that was built in the last two or three years, mm-hmm. right? But there's most of those things that are out there have a 20 year, 15 to 20 year life cycle or longer. And so those devices don't play well with the normal IT kinds of vulnerability scans, uh, um, you know, inventory tools, things like that. So um, you have to, to me, there's, there's two things. If you want to play in that space, you've got to understand what, how these things talk to each other. And what they're capable of accepting as an input or or a query, and be able to determine that and talk to them in their language, they're much more likely to survive uh, that conversation if you're talking to them the way that they are programmed to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the other piece to that is, in some cases you're not going to be able to directly query them or you're not going to be able to put an agent or something like that on. So do you understand how they talk across the wire, right? Can you look at the bits as they go across the wire and say, oh, that's an Emerson PLC talking to, you know, an Aspen historian or whatever. And based on that traffic, kind of know, you know, what firmware version it's running or whatever, um, that mm-hmm. to me is is the only safe way to really understand your 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 environment out there. And as a follow up to that, do you think that because of the challenge of tool sets trying to actually talk to these devices and 
understand them and, you know, uh, therefore give you visibility of what they are, where they are, their status and state. Um, does, is that what is leading to a lot of hesitancy by, you know, practitioners and leaders in security like you to actually try to do anything with these devices or, or what is it that's kind of leading the apprehension to actually go and try to do something about the state of these devices? So I, I, yeah, I, to answer your question, yes, I do believe that that helps fuel the apprehension, right? Some mm-hmm. of the apprehension is just, Hey, the last time we tried this a decade ago, you know, half of my manufacturing floor puked on itself <laughs> and, you know, would cost us millions of dollars to come back up again. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of the apprehension. So a lot of it is prove to me, you're not going to do that again. But then the, the other half is, is, you know, we have tools that work on the IT side. Now I'm being told I need to buy a different tool for the IoT or the OT or the XIoT, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm now I'm back in the, in the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s of having to have a suite of tools that all do the same thing, but only talk to specific types of you know, of equipment, um, you know, where is my, you know, single pane of glass for all of my environments? And I think we'll get there. But uh, again, I think that because these things are so independent and so different from each other, you kind of have to start with, you know, best of breed kinds of, uh, uh, tools, um, because proving the value of having that visibility will then allow you to f- get the vendors to, you know, join together and, and, you know, like, you know, like we went through 20 years ago and start to get tools that cross the platforms. But if you don't show the value of it, it's difficult to get the, uh, get the interest, right? Yes. Yeah, so many great points there, Dave, to unpack. The first one is that... <laughs> Organizations were burned, right? Because every cybersecurity company that learned how to spell the word SCADA said, oh, we have a SCADA solution too. I remember I remember when this was happening and they started throwing out IDSs and then later IPSs and scans and all these tools that were built for SCADA and they weren't. Um, maybe they even were able to spell Modbus or DNP3, but they weren't and they threw them out here and they didn't really add a ton of value. And sometimes it was negative. Sometimes it impacted that big capital A availability. So they were gun shy. And I remember the early days of integrating like checkpoint firewall with the ISS IDS and ISS could be set up to say, Hey, if I see something that looks like an attack, I can automatically tell the firewall to block this. Well, then the CIO tries to get in and he's got a weird VPN client or something else. And, and then fast forward a week, and you're never doing that again because that, that real-time right. remediation burns you. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that's what the industry saw a lot of. And it makes me think through the early days of Phosphorus, like, you know, five years in stealth mode to essentially figure out a way to build an XIoT communication solution that just happens to do security. 
And the idea was it was like C-3PO, right? It was a it was a diplomatic droid that could speak the the binary language of water evaporators, right? So you have to be able to speak all these disparate languages in a very safe way. And that's a that's a unique challenge. And you can't just go out there and scan away and send malformed packets. And as John likes to say, you can't waterboard these devices into tell me what you are, right? Because you'll <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll knock them over. So the point I'm trying to get to in a very long and drown out way here is because of that and because of that op- uh, a- apprehension around this and that tools like phosphorus you know we've we've been shipping for you know about a year so it's not like a firewall it's not something that's been around for 30 years it's still relatively new a solution that can you know discover your xiot devices patch them manage the credentials the certs harden all these great things that we did back in the in the early 90s that now we can actually apply to all of xiot this is a relatively new space but that with the fact that people were burned, right, by some of these early entries into this into this market, do you think that the cyber criminals and the nation states see this as a great opportunity because now they can count on organizations to be passive? They can count on organizations not to take the steps to secure these XIOT devices, just close their eyes, cross their fingers, and hope that nothing bad's going to happen even though they do have 50 or to your point, 100,000 plus XIOT devices that are Linux and BST and Android with no passwords and high level vulnerabilities and old firmware. Well, this is a great attack footprint. So do you see them going after this now as one of the the new news for their targeting capabilities? So I don't think I've seen a lot of actual attacks, but to me, it seems like a, a greenfield attack vector, right? Because there's a lot of it, there's a lot of people talking about it now, but that's what they're doing is talking, right? They're 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 recognizing where the the gotchas could potentially be, and they're very hesitantly, you know, bringing that in. And I don't think, uh, again, because some of it's we've been burned, some of it is how big's the threat really, right? Is that is that where I should be spending my money? Yep. You know, if I'm if I put my, you know, my ubiquitous black hat on and I want to, uh, you know, steal data or gain access or whatever, absolutely. The IOT devices. I mean, we've seen it happen. We haven't seen it on the industrial side very much, um, mainly because I, I think it's it's not as easy to get to them. But once you do get to them. A lot of times they're pretty wide open, and that would be. A, I think those those things will start to become more of an attack vector, be, mainly because they're starting the the industry starting to close down the attack vectors that have been available up until now. Right, so you're mm-hmm. seeing guys like me that are bringing a lot of focus to securing the OT devices, and you know, doing the kind of uh, block, basic block and tackling of patching and antivirus and, you know, reviewing firewall rules and, you know, doing those kinds of basic things. Well, that makes it, you know, all those nice, easy holes that were there. Um, so the bad guys are going to go look for the next nice, easy targets that people either aren't paying attention to or haven't realized they're a threat yet. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I mean, it, and again, it sounds like we hear this quite often, right? Um, we until they're kind of attacked in a very 
visible, you know, painful way, um, organizations may tend to just lower that in priority. Although, again, we've seen attacks, right? You've got our socks where they're they're targeting these kinds of devices for botnets. You've got the quiet exit where they're, you know, they're going to to breach you with a traditional, say, phishing attack, and then they're going to pivot to one of these devices and then actually use it for exfil, for God's sakes, right? Um, you've got, and then you have things like the Siemens S7, the, the S7 crash, and Siemens kind of giving people like yourself a list and, hey, it should be easy. Just go update the firmware, rotate the passwords, you know, shut off any extraneous services and ports and protocol. I mean, it's simple stuff, right? E- easy to do. Um, you know, if so- If you know where it is. <laughs> yeah, if you even know where it is and how to go do that. So we can see that there's that that kind of waiting period of, I, I, I have to see these things, you know, give me some pain and, and get attacked, even though we know that there's there's attacks out there. But do you also think that we've maybe from an OT perspective, maybe put our, our heads in the sand a little bit around the idea that, hey, they're all isolated networks? I mean, again, and I just say Stuxnet was a pretty isolated network. That didn't turn out too well for them. Um, is that also in play here? The idea that, ah, it's isolated. You can't get to it. Well, I, I think the, the attitude is certainly there, right? Mm-hmm. That if you look at the Purdue model, right, um, those uh, industrial Internet of Things sit down on the on the layer one, you know, layer zero kind of areas. And the folks that recognize that security on the OT networks is, is an important thing. Again, they focus on the layer three where you've got your normal Windows type devices, and you know, uh, uh, con- then the layer two where the control systems are, but they still see the layer one and layer zero as kind of being not necessarily isolated but unassailable, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to get through these other things to get there, and the reality is the bad guys know that, and. You know, you can go on if you uh, if you know the you know a quick Google search will tell you who a company gets their control systems from, right? You can go on eBay and buy some of those systems, especially the older ones, for you know a few thousand dollars. Set up your own lab, come up with a you know a very targeted attack vector using those um, you know those sensors and stuff and you know, it's there. So, you know, from a priority standpoint, I think, I think the people have been focusing on those layer two, layer three devices, uh, because they are the easier ones to get to. But I do think that the, the next level down is going to be the next set of attack vectors, because, um, again, you spend the time, you lock the front door, they're going to figure out the to go in the back door. You lock the back door. They're going to start Jimmy and Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, and wherever you're not looking or wherever you haven't spent your time and effort is they'll figure it out. You know, you're so right. I can't count how many times we've gone into an organization where they've spent tens of millions of dollars, if not more, application security, network security, endpoint security, on and on and on. But a lot of these critical servers have KVM switches connected to them, lights out management, UPS, they're in racks. None of those devices are secured. 
They're usually Ubuntu Linux or something like that that's plugged in. If you can get access to that KVM switch or that lights out management port, it's smooth sailing. I can spawn a shell, virtual terminal, shut the system down, change the settings, upload software, game over. And I don't have to, to your point, bang my head against this very secure front door when, hey, somebody left the porch door open right here. I'll just just walk right through it. And look, right. I don't have access to just one system now. Now I've got access to thousands of systems. Th- thank you, devices that manage other devices. Um, right. So, <laughs> so with that said, Dave, you know, I, I, someone that's been in this space for so long, but do you have any like interesting war stories you can share, whether it's from the OT side or IT side or that kind of merge the two or anything like that? Um, so I, I just got back from Chicago from a, a Manusec uh, conference, um, which is one of the one of the ones that I like to attend that does the IT OT security crossover discussions, right? Yeah. And um, one of the stories that I told there was a uh, some. The organization that I that I just moved out of, where we're, we're, you know, bringing security professionals to the OT side and matching them up with OT professionals that have a passion for security. We just hired a, a new person, young, right out of school, passion for security, passion for manufacturing. You know, the kind of that purple unicorn, and they were taking him around the plant, showing him, you know, the manufacturing unit, and you know, here's how things work, and you know, when you talk about this, this is what that looks like and just kind of giving them the grand tour. And he noticed there was a gentleman off to the side that had a laptop and was it was plugged into one of the PLC devices. And so they walked over to him and turns out he was the vendor representative that had manufactured that particular PLC. You know, name shall be changed to protect the guilty. Um and they were talking to him, and he was saying that he was there to, to install some patches and do some firmware updates and things like that. And they watched him download a file from the internet and then upload it to the PLC. And, and the gentleman from my team goes, wait, you're not supposed to be able to do that. There's no access to the internet. We're not supposed to be any access to the internet from this process control network. And the vendor's like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it that way. I've got my phone connected to the internet, and I'm tethered to my phone. So I'm just using my phone to connect to the internet and download these files. And, you know, he kind of scratched his head and was like, that just doesn't sound right. But he didn't say anything at the time because, like, I'm new. Maybe this is authorized or whatever. And so he brought it up to his manager and his and his manager called me and we got to talking and like, no, that should not happen. You need to go make sure they're not doing that anymore. But it opened the question of, is this happening other places? And as it turned out, lots of places were were doing that. And it wasn't malicious. They weren't trying to, you know, do anything bad. They were trying to just do their job that we pay them to do. And it was easy. It was simple. They were able to do it and didn't think anything about it, right? But what that opened up for us was, well, okay, this is a legitimate need, right? These vendors need to be able to get patches, firmware updates, coding updates, whatever, you know, from their systems on their network to our systems. How do they do that? And so, you know, it kicked off a big architecture discussion about how do we safely do that. But the initial thing was, 
holy crap, we spent, like you said, millions of dollars putting in these standard remote access solutions and file transfer solutions and stuff like that. And people were just, you know, we've all seen the picture of the gate with the, with the dirt roads driven around the gate. Right. Um, and, and that's what happened. So it's, it's, it always, it's, it's stuff like that really reminds me that if you make it so secure that it's inconvenient, people will bypass the security, right? They're smart. Um, which is one of the reasons why I like to focus on, you know, you talk about people processes and technology, a lot of the technology, a lot of the security discussions focus on technology and they don't think about people and processes. And to me, if you don't give all of them equal time, the people will go outside of the process. They'll, they'll go outside of the technology to get their work done um, because it's easier or faster or whatever. Um, so you kind of have to think about all of them. That's probably my favorite recent story is just because it, it was something not, you know, none of us had ever thought of that, you know, uh, again, it goes back to the, we, we assume things are air gapped, right? For years, you couldn't get a cell signal inside of a manufacturing plant, right? So it was never a, never a concern. Well, guess what? There's, you know, 10 times the number of cell towers and they're a lot more, you know, a lot stronger and 5g penetrates a lot deeper. And, you know, now you've got this access that you never had to worry about. That's just out there in the air. And I guess that leads me to kind of a follow-up question is your advice on where should, you know, practitioners, teams um, start, right? We talked about many of the, the situation of these devices, right? The, their majority of them have default passwords, if any at all, right? The firmware is six, seven years old. The devices are very old. Um, they're loaded and riddled with vulnerabilities. You know, if they do uh, have certificates, they're probably out of date or self-signed or something's wrong there, right? The firmware is very old. Lots of potential extraneous ports and protocols that are turned on that shouldn't. So a lot of things can be done. Where would you start? Where would you advise people to start? If you can go fix something first from low-hanging fruit, what would that be? So I would have probably approach it from two directions. One is, is I would I would do a large-scale uh, pilot on the IT side, looking at the things people understand when you talk about. So printers, mm-hmm. network switches, refrigerators, whatever else you've got on the network, right, that has low risk if something bad were to happen and kind of prove your bona fides about the fact that you can work with these things and not tip them over, right? Um but at the same time, uh, find a place that's got all the industrial Internet of Things that you're worried about, but is potentially lower risk, right? So um, uh, a place that's got all the equipment that you're looking for, but if something does tip over, it's not going to go kaboom, mm-hmm. right? Some place that has a safe environment um, that, yeah, it may stop production, um, but it's not super impactful. Um, it's not going to, you know, be uh, risky to people's lives, things like that. And again, prove that you can deal with those things without tipping them over. And then you've got facts to go to the, the folks kind of in the more risky areas to say, hey, look, here's all the devices that we've detected. 
here at your company that, you know, we're in these situations. We were able to bring the visibility. We were able to prioritize. We were able to make the changes and nothing lost connectivity. Nothing had to be restarted. Or if it had to be restarted, it was restarted in a controlled way. Um, you know, that gets you past the, the apprehension, right? Because a yeah. lot of that is, um, you know, twice, once bitten, twice shy kind of mm -hmm. things, right? But if you can approach those folks with the facts, uh, this is what we did in your industry. This is what we did in your company. Here's the value of having it. And here's the lack of risk of d implementing it. I think you're, you you get a lot stronger buy-in. Um, you've got the, I would say you've probably got the executive commitment, but you've got to get the um, the trust from the people in the trenches, or the ones that are going to have to clean up the mess if this thing, you know, barfs on itself. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny you laid it out like that. That's exactly how I'm seeing it rolled out in production. So a lot of folks will be, I want to say, a little bit more cavalier when it comes to IoT devices. And they're oh, saying, yeah. and they'll say, look, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're just gonna roll it out on and across all 50,000 printers. We, we have one hotel chain that's close to 100,000 printers. And they say, we're gonna, we're gonna try this, this uh, state or, you know, these, these five facilities first, these five hotels. Uh, and then they start off with things like, well, let's, let's first add it to um, a PAM solution. We'll rotate the credentials. So we'll use phosphorus for that. And then they'll say, okay, that, that worked great. Now let's turn off Telnet and Bluetooth and wireless on all those devices. Okay, that worked. Now maybe we'll manage the certs and then we'll go ahead and get into the, the firmware side of it. And then that works. And then I see folks that also have OT, they're almost always, well, let, let's let's kick the tires on the IoT and, and okay, you're right, everything worked. Okay, now we'll go ahead and do the password stuff. And they seem really keen on that. That's a great first step. Mm -hmm. Some of these devices take a four digit numeric pin. Some of these devices can have 20 characters, but no special characters. Some can have special characters, but no backslash. So you have all these little isms for all these all these right. different devices, and they want to test that out, hardening. When it comes to firmware, I would say that's probably the one where people need to be the most sensitive, as they should be, right? To your point, they're the ones that have to clean up the mess. And a password's one thing, but if you screw up the ladder logic on something, that's that's completely something else, right? Now all right. my set points are messed up. Um, and what I, I've seen they like to do is they like to pick a couple devices, and you said it great. Let's pick a couple devices that don't go boom, and let's go ahead and manually push the firmware update uh, from Phosphorus out to that device. If that works, now let's let's try automating, you know, a dozen devices. Okay, that worked good. Now let's try three dozen. And they kind of and I actually think that's the best way to do it. I would I would hate to be the person that comes and says, do it everywhere, all the time. Let it go. Turn on the fire hose. No one's gonna do that, especially people in OT that have, you know, been around for a while. Like, uh, no, <laughs> we're not gonna do it that way. So definitely taking those those baby steps. I think that was that was great advice uh, from your side. Uh, absolutely. And that and it can go relatively quick. I mean, there there doesn't have to be a year between these baby steps. Sometimes there's only a few days or a few weeks, but it it does make sense to roll out in that process. Um, Dave, as we wrap up here. Uh, I have a really important question to ask because we're both Comic-Con and, and comic book guys. So Iron Man suit, Tony Stark's suit. Okay. 
you know, Jarvis was was Jarvis the operating system or was he just the the Siri for the operating system on the front? I think he was integrated more. He, he was like the whole operating system, right? He was the With, whole operating system, but he was the whole operating system for the house, everything for mm-hmm. the cars, for everything. Yeah, yeah. So within the suit, you've got Jarvis in this operating system, but I've got to imagine you've got a whole bunch of XIOT devices in that one suit. My oh yeah, question, the whole thing is nothing but a collection of IoT devices. Yeah. My question is, do you think there's more XIOT devices in Iron Man's suit or one Walmart store? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I would say the uh, Infinity War nano mm-hmm. nanoparticle suits probably win for individual IoT devices, yep. but the uh, Iron Man 1, 2, and 3 suits, definitely a lot less there than your average Walmart. Well, very good, very good. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for that. Is that enough for you? That, that's pretty perfect. That's pretty perfect. <laughs> well, I'm glad we settled that question on the on the podcast, <laughs> and, uh, as well as a host of other critical things. And it was really just such a fantastic discussion. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Uh, and amazing advice, tremendous advice. I hope our listeners caught all of that. And it was just uh, wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thanks to my co-host, Brian, and to our guest today, Dave Bang. Thanks so much, Dave, for joining us today. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. And I'm Dave Bang. And we'll see you all next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast.